0: This episode of Upstream Perspective is brought to you by IHS Markets Upstream Insight. Our team of industry experts analyze the interplay of geopolitical structures, government priorities, corporate strategies, and global markets and technologies to deliver forward-looking solutions that lead to more informed and efficient decisions. These solutions are available via recurring reports, interactive analytics, robust data sets, and bespoke engagements with experts. Learn more about our offerings at www.ihsmarket.com slash energy. Welcome to today's podcast. I'm Jessica Nelson, joined by my co-host, Hill Vaden. Hill, welcome to another episode.
1: Thank you. Excited.
0: Yeah, on today's episode, we are rejoined by two of our favorites, uh, Reed Olmsted from our North America Plays and Basins team, and David Vosche, one of our onshore services and materials experts. Uh, They're going to reflect on 2019 and give us uh, an understanding of what might be ahead for 2020. Guys, welcome. It's always a pleasure to have you.
1: Yeah, thank you for having us. Thanks, guys. I think they were one of the more popular recordings of 2019. So we've got the Kardashians of the
0: 2019
1: yeah, put
2: part.
1: Putting
0: the <laughs> pressure on. Them. That's right. Uh, don't tell Raul. So he'll probably come on <laughs> and turn it out to you then. Um, but yeah, so speaking of that, though, we did have you both here uh, about this time last year to tell us about 2019. So I want to revisit some of those uh, quote unquote predictions you gave us. So, Reed, I'll put you on the spot first. Uh, you said 2019 was going to continue to be the story of the Permian Basin, and no shock, you were right. But was there anything about the Permian or even anything outside of the Permian that surprised you in 2019?
3: You know, I think that as we look at 2019, the thing that's really surprised me is how operators have so rapidly and successfully pivoted to this new business model that they're being forced to live under. You know, we thought that coming into this year, we thought we'd see growth of seven or eight hundred thousand barrels a day. In the first six months, it didn't show up. I mean, really, from January until mid-summer, production was For all considerations it was flat and operators really stuck to their line of we're going to meet what investors want we're going to live within cash flow we're going to make every effort to uh, return value to our to our investors whether it's through share buybacks uh, implementing dividends uh repaying debt so that, to me, was the biggest surprise. I mean, we came off of 2018, the largest entry-to-exit production growth of any year ever by any country. And this year, it's just been muted. And so that that pivot in and, you know, your operating mentality really did catch us a little bit on the back foot.
0: And what about outside of the Permian? Anything surprise you there?
3: You know, I guess gas has been surprising to me. The way the Haynesville is held up um, – we keep looking at the economics and saying, you know, the Haynesville's got to give, the Haynesville's got to give. And it's been amazingly resilient for a gas play, despite the onslaught of the associated gas and the Marcellus. It's holding its own. I mean, it's really showing to be a capable contender in this story of gas on gas on associated gas competition. And so that's been a bit of a surprise to us as well. Was there a right, so, so Chevron said yesterday they were going to write down some of their gas
1: assets in the Marcellus. I mean. That took me by surprise, or those types of things.
3: You know, I think when you start looking at where people have acreage and what the forward curve is, I think a lot of operators have been holding on to the hope of we'll get back to a three three dollar gas price. We've been sub two dollars for as many years as I can count. Um, certainly in the in the recent recent history, we've been pretty low. Um, and when you look at the massive resource base of gas that's commercial at At a sub 250 when you look at where storage levels have been we're entering the winter it's just this this perfect storm of okay we got enough gas and so i think that operators are finally starting to get that um get that sort of work through their their balance sheet and their reserves
0: and david um the beginning of last year one of the hot topics that that you talked about was the frack holiday and many of our listeners may have now forgotten about that. Um, but you talked about what that meant for service companies at the time, given that we were in a period of oversupply. How has this played out? We haven't heard much since then. Um, tell us a little bit about how that played out.
2: Yeah, no, it's it is you know when uh, when Hill came in this morning and and said we were going to talk about this, uh, I think it underscored just how much has happened in twelve months because when you think back and realize how much has happened, it feels like forever, but it feels like just yesterday. And I think that, With regards to the the frack holiday, there's really two things here that uh, came into play that made it much more of a non-issue than we were thinking about going in. The first one uh, is how, I don't want to say underestimated the pipeline bottleneck was was thought to be, but I think pipeline capacity came on sooner and maybe in greater volumes, and maybe Reid can speak to this more, but greater volumes than people thought. And that really was what the original bottleneck was, was this uh, possibility of getting volumes out of the, the Permian specifically. So the, the pipeline issue didn't resolve itself, but it was resolved early enough and soon enough where I think it alleviated some of that pressure on the, the frac crews. The second issue uh, is that no one, I don't say no one realized, but there was the, the oversupply really was key here because it was oversupplied at the beginning of the year. The market is still oversupplied now. You're talking in frac crews. Yeah, <clears throat> thank you. Uh, the market is oversupplied in, in frack crews. And there was just so much, there was and there still is so much availability uh, that the the sort of onslaught of frack jobs that were going to happen just, just didn't because the, the ducks were spread out because of the pipeline capacity. There was ample uh, horsepower on the fracking side. And that meant that it really was a pause at the beginning of the year. And then I don't even I don't even want to say business as usual because then towards Q3 things took a turn for the worst in the industry, and so it really ended up being hyped up and then not really much of a story
3: throughout the rest of the year. And I think that the frac holiday is is almost in relation to you know you got to have a reference point, and and I thought about it, and uh, the reference point is compared to rig count, but this year we really saw a rig count fall. I mean, I, we've we've had you know so many rigs come out of the field that. At that point, you think, well, okay, it's not a frac holiday. Everybody is just, you know, keeping drilling and completions in pace with each other. It, it wasn't that drilling activity held up so much better, and they were never fracking. It was just those two moved in lockstep as, as you would expect under these under those conditions. So, yeah, the frac holiday, a little bit, but it was also a story of the drill rigs coming out of the, coming out of the field.
2: And actually, I think so, Reid. Kind of- jog my memory a little bit here. I think the, the well productivity issue is a factor here. So I mentioned pipelines, I mentioned frack crews. The fact that wells uh, can do more with less, I mean, you can basically get more production out of a given well, uh, would essentially mean that you would need perhaps less frack jobs to get the same production or more production. So you had all these factors uh, really coming to a head in 2019, which meant that service companies uh, ended up not getting the uplift, I think a lot of them were banking on to,
1: to make it to the end of the year. So looking at that, I mean, there there was a degree a degree of consensus around Frac hol- the, the frack Holiday and kind of the impact of that, which didn't really play out. And looking at the, the report that Brandon uh, and your team posted sure um, yesterday on the IHS blog about the outlook for the profit market mm-hmm. markets in 2020, um, where I think he called I don't know how many of you know the the, the suppliers sure. But there was no consensus that I think right. 25% said there was going to be inflation, 25% said there's going to be deflation, and 25% said there was going to be no change at all, and another 25% responded differently. Given the lack of consensus, is there, how, how do we read that? How do we interpret that going into next year? Well, uh, it's it's interesting. My, my first thought, and we had, so in the survey
2: where we, where we were specifically uh, contacting people involved in, in profit, so this is
1: moving a little bit away
2: from directly talking about horsepower. But uh, in this survey that uh, we administered and, and Hill was uh, was talking about, I was surprised because I felt like the split was essentially 60-40 to people who thought there would be kind of no change or slight deflation versus increases. And I was thinking it would be 100% of people would think the market would just kind of crash again. And so I think that there is a couple of, uh, couple of factors maybe at play here. I think the first one is that uh, without having the data in front of me, I can't say for sure. But if it's the service company speaking, then they haven't been in direct contact with the operators because I know that the question I've been getting from every operator I speak with is, "Okay, so how much price discounting I'm going to get? <laughs> am I going to get next year?" So from their point of view, they are just chopping at the bit to get discounts on top of what they what they've already gotten. I think the the next uh, issue here is I think maybe that there is some mindset if it is in fact mostly the service companies. Uh, responding in this survey that, well, hey, we've already given enough. Like, so no, we're not going to give. We're not going to give any more. Or at least it's going to have to get really, really bad uh, before we, uh, you know, before we do that. And then I think that the next kind of uh, aspect, to be fair, is that it's very easy to speak in averages, but when you start to break things down, I mean, regionally the situation is different. So maybe in one area of the country there is ample supply of prop and uh, another part of the country there might be you know, a little bit more than enough, but it's not the right kind, the right mesh size. So I think there's probably some regional variation play play here. But I think speaking just personally, uh, I think it is going to be mixed because on one hand, you have oil prices that I just checked recently. They're at, I mean, pretty healthy levels for now. Uh, and I think if you look at break-evens, even going into 2019, you can still produce hydrocarbons uh, profitably. So you have this kind of mathematical reality, but then you have this self-reinforcing uh, sense of defeat from the industry that 2020 is not going to be very good. And so I think you've got this mix of forces that, um, that play into that, that play into that mixed perspective of whether or not there's going to be impact
1: on pricing. So the lack of consensus, we would agree that
2: yeah, we would agree <laughs> that there
3: is, that there <laughs> is there no consensus. You know, and that yeah. happens in, <clears throat> pardon me, in my, in my work too. You know, there are a couple things that when I talk, you know, how the U S fits in the global supply picture, there are two questions you get. What about Venezuela? What about Iran? Well, Venezuela, that's a physical issue where, I mean, yes, it's geopolitical, but even if that got fixed today, it's going to take years to get physical iron, tangible assets back in the field working. It's going to take years to get labor. And without getting political, we've been really surprised at certain things that this administration has done by both sides of the aisle. And so it's not unreasonable to think any day we wake up and something has happened Sure. That leads to a lot of uncertainty. That's three million barrels a day, on or off the market. It is binary and it is immediate. That's so Iran or this? Iran. Iran. So so that leads to a lot of uncertainty. So when we look at twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one, that's I mean that's a big issue that we've got to sort of come up with two scenarios for, and then you say, well, which we'll read. What's your opinion? Well, I mean, it depends. It
1: well, depends hold on, to on that, a lot of things. I'm going to ask you that in a little way. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, so, good. So, so, so let us finish reviewing yeah. the 2019 comments, and then mm-hmm. we're going to put you on, both on the spot with 2020, and we may keep score mm-hmm. uh, in terms of the predictions for 2020.
0: <laughs> okay. Yeah, so speaking of last January, if you remember, I asked you both to give me a potential headline we might see in 2019. So I'm going to refresh you of that. Reid, uh, you said, first 40 well pad drilled. Um, And David, your headline was industry outdoes itself again. So we're giving you some times. First, how do you feel about those predictions now that you've um, heard them again and had the opportunity to live through 2019 and actually see how things played out?
2: Uh, So I'll go first. I mean, I I think that um, it was definitely optimistic, uh, but I think from the service company point of view, uh, now obviously there's some people that won and some people that lost in this, but uh, the industry did it. I mean, you know, for all the talk of shortage of services, for all the talk of logistics difficulties, uh, you know, the, the U.S. is still a top producer of oil and gas. And in fact, the market responded so well that we're now in a position of oversupply. So I think even though it might have been, it came across as very optimistic, but if you look at it as just a, a factual statement, um, I, I want to say that it, uh, the industry kind of did what I thought it would in that, uh, in that way. Great, thanks.
3: Yeah. So, so, so David wins. <laughs> well, my, I, I don't recall and I don't think that we've seen a 40-well pad. We've seen some big ones, 24, maybe getting close to 30. Um, so so I, I went. A, I got a little bit over my skis there. Uh, but, you know, we have seen a shift, in particular as the majors have come into the business in the Permian, we've seen larger project-type operations. And so... You know, 40 was definitely going to be a surprise, but, you know, we're starting to see regular activity of 12, 18, 20-plus wells on a pad. So um, uh, maybe a little shock value in what I threw out there last year, but I think I think it captured the, the trend that we were seeing.
1: And in your defense, I think, Jessica, you said it's all about execution, right? It's all in the execution. That's right. Said, part of that qualifying statement, mm-hmm. and, and I, I think both of you – seem to be saying that the industry executed uh with perhaps some exception but
3: but for the most part
1: so thanks for that I was right going to say there. that's good I like that I like, that I like likely, we did hill. there yeah. and it,
3: it, I won't I won't disagree it's been about execution whether it's operational execution financial execution uh supply chain execution the industry has executed this year and and it's judged on different metrics but to your point hill it's proven that whatever the whatever the metric is I mean to this point the industry can execute
1: yeah. All right. So that's 2019, uh, Jessica. And, and I think we're going to approach 2020 slightly differently. Um, playing a game you probably heard of called Would You Rather? Okay. All right. Um, yeah. and so we're going to give you a couple things where you, you each have to make you know, would you rather be X or would you rather be Y? I started trying to pull in some pop culture references, uh, knowing, for example, that, that one of us is a big fan of John Mayer. Oh yes, uh, and mm. another of us is a big biker, things like that. So, so okay. I, I may work in some of that, uh, but, but I'm uh, not sure. Um, but and,
0: just, with... and if I can point out, remember that that Reed, you don't have to worry about naming um, Disney princesses, princesses this time.
1: Yeah, thanks. Yeah. That's
2: right. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we'll put a link up to that in the show notes. (laughs) Yes, yes. For
0: those that missed our April Fool's Day video, Reed was our winner of our Disney Princess contest and and named eight or nine, actually, I think. Disney princesses.
3: Nothing like having a
1: third-grade daughter. All right, so transitioning from Disney princesses to oil field sector. Going into 2020, who is going to have the better year in North America, oil field services or onshore operators? So,
2: yeah, so, you know, I was... We have been given a little bit of a, a sneak preview of some of these. And I think the difficulty for a lot of these is you have to lay out a set of conditions right. Uh, but I think if we're just going sort of, sort of like a quick answer between service companies and operators, uh, it's it's hard to see how the operators don't have the upper hand here. I mean, service service companies are oversupplied. You know, the, the capital markets dried up, debt markets have dried up. The operators have the upper hand. So for yeah. me, on that one,
3: I'm going operators. And, and I will, too, because... The operators are judged on metrics that they can achieve. They're proving they can achieve that. They've got visions and, and lines of sight to achieving those, those goals. Um, and part of that is at the expense of the already downtrodden and beaten service sector. So that's not to say that, you know, operators are going to just flourish in 2020. But if I had to pick, I would much rather be on an operator's uh, – in an operator. Office than than a service sector office. Yeah. Right. I there's think been a lot of
1: here, right. there's been a lot of headlines from both sectors coming out of the third quarter earnings of strategic alternatives and Chapter 11s and even mm-hmm. Chapter 22s for, for those companies who filed Chapter 11 twice. <laughs> do <And laughs> Do we think there's going to be
3: more bankruptcies from from one side or the other? I would expect. I mean, uh, of the names that you would track, um, I'm going to guess we'll probably see more operator. Bankruptcies, only because it's a larger pool. Because there's more. Yeah, so so it's just a numbers game. There aren't enough, the, the service sector, in my opinion, has already bled um, as much as it can, almost, hopefully. Um, so I think we'll probably see more uh, bankruptcies and m and, and that type of thing, you know, strategic alternatives, as you might say, whatever those may be, on the operator side.
1: All right. We're well, then looking at potential upside from commodity, upside surprise uh, in terms of price, looking at oil or gas. Where do you think there's more
3: upside uh, risk, price risk? Wow. I haven't been asked about upside risk in a while. So. <laughs> <laughs> this is a positive show. we got to keep the kids listening. So, I, 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 I mean, it's tough and I'll, I'll, I'll ramble here for a minute. You know, I think markets improved. I said this th- three years ago. We were on a call internally, and I said, I I struggle to make a case where oil gets above 55 sustained in the next five years. And yeah, we had the blip in 2018 up to 75. So I'll eat a little crow on that. But for the most part, we've been kind of stuck at a 58 and below level. The US has proven it can respond at that price. So when you're looking at our price outlooks, which are based on our demand outlooks, and couple that with our global supply growth from various other countries, it's tough to come up with upside short of a geopolitical situation or something like we had in September uh, with a physical outage that nobody saw coming. So I, I struggle to come up with a with a, an easy way to foretell, okay, we missed oil price on this, this way. Gas, our outlook for gas is so dismal that I've got to hope there's only <laughs> upside risk. I can't see operators surviving in a sub $2 gas price long term. So I would say on that sense, you know, we're already at the floor on gas price. I can't come up with what it is, but there is no downside risk to the gas price in my mind and in our gas price outlook. So it's got to have upside risk. Yeah, I mean, if, if you're just asking me like
2: quickly, either or uh, what's got the most upside Oil, I'd go no down. Oil, yeah, I'm, oh, All for, right. for sure. I, I think of of the two. If you said, okay, which one would you would you choose? It's it's oil for the
1: upside, for sure. All right. So now we got you on different sides of the fence here. All right. Um, so earlier this year, we also did a podcast talking about e the, yep. the the electric frac potential, uh, a quote unquote mm-hmm. greener frac, if there's such a thing. Sure. We can ask. Uh, Certain politicians, whether there's such a thing as green frac, uh, next year during the campaign, um, going into 2020, uh, if you've got to sign a long-term contract for services mm-hmm. in your oil field, do you sign the e or the conventional frac?
2: Well, oh, that's interesting. I mean,
1: so again, there's a lot of kind of it depends here. Like,
2: is there supply out there? But uh, just based on conversations we've had with operators, uh, they want this because uh, you know, despite what the the e-frac providers are saying sort of, you know, strip away kind of the sales speed. There are some tangible benefits there. So, I mean, you have less cost for diesel fuel. It's less noisy. I mean, there's all kinds of benefits. And the operators realize that. Uh, they want this to happen. Uh, service companies that are established are loath to do this because it's very expensive. So to them, I mean, what's the upside? You're going to put in tens of millions of dollars to get these fleets uh, and then basically just entering competitive space with people who are in an already oversupply. Yeah, it, well, that's the thing, right? They just want to get rid of their of their horsepower that they already have. So if if you're an operator, I mean, there's a, a checklist of things you have to go through, uh, which is like, you know, is there even capacity? Is it in the areas I need it? I mean, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But just based on the, the conversations I've had, the demand is definitely there from the operator side, even though. The will is not necessarily there from the established uh, fracking companies to, to get with the program and, and, and offer some fracking services. Does that provide Tesla an opportunity? <laughs> I mean, they're <laughs> doing everything else. So I, I guess why not? I mean, Solar fracking? But I'll tell you what, if it looks like the new truck, uh, then <laughs> I'm, I'm game to see what a frack pump looks like <laughs> under that design language. But,
0: yeah.
2: uh, so you're going to fracking? I, I, th- I mean, it's a small part of the market. Let's be realistic. But I yeah. think that in terms of like, where's the enthusiasm? Yeah, you no it out. Yeah. And yeah. your contract, yeah. if, if you've got a contract. Oh, that, well, that's for sure. Your that's for sure. I mean, the the way that these contracts, and it varies by provider and service company, obviously, but because of the cost to bring one on, that's been the strategy of the EFRAC providers. They want to make sure that they've got contracts for the long term so that they're making money. There's no excess, right? I mean, this is kind of like a version of just-in-time for the, the, the
1: hydraulic fracturing industry. Yeah. All right.
3: Yeah. And I'm going to go with e too. And that's not just because I was at a trade show and the e booth had the Popeye's chicken sandwich. <laughs> um, this is purely independent of, of any food bribery. Um, for me, I like e for all the reasons David said, but also for the fact that it's run off of gas that likely would have been flared or vented yes. anyway. So you've got um, a big push these days on the environmental side. Um, and so that only helps our industry by not by not putting that into the environment. But also, you know, you're offsetting that diesel cost with something that's basically a waste product for some of these operators anyway. The the guys I talked to just, you know, anecdotally over um, a Popeye's chicken sandwich, they're saying that you know their their calendars are pretty booked, certainly through first half of the year. Um, and there's high demand. So, you know, the savings that that plays out may start to get eroded as demand goes up and the supply for EFRAC doesn't uh, keep pace. But I think right now in my mind, equal price, you got to go EFRAC. It saves on the diesel. You're, you're appeasing environmentalists and you're using a waste product uh, to, to power your operations. I, I, and then there's the noise. Uh, so I see it as wins all around.
2: Actually, I think I can do this because it's an IHS market podcast, but I'll plug something we just put out. Uh, we do have a very robust tool for doing some cost comparisons on EFRAC versus diesel. So if anyone's interested, just uh, let us know and we'll, uh, it, we plan to make it open to the public. So this is something mm-hmm. that anyone can use. Uh, and, All of our listeners. Yeah, yeah. So anyone that wants to to see what those uh, numbers look
1: like, just drop us a line and they can, we can help them run through that. All right. Reed, you introduce this. So I'm going to go with it. Bigger 2020, the Popeye's chicken sandwich or the
3: fake meat whopper. Oh, come on. I'm in Texas. Yeah. Uh, the Popeye's chicken. I, <clears throat> I'm going to leave it there. <laughs> There's nothing else I can say other than, uh, pro chicken sandwich vis-a-vis meatless whopper. Oh, meatless, whopper. meatless
2: whopper. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not vegetarian, but I'm definitely, I, I'm intrigued and, uh, I'm going meatless whopper for sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah. all right so a couple differences on Whopper's chicken and oil and gas I think Reeds just
2: about, <laughs> for those of you who can't see us I think Reed's about ready to just uh end, end the interview right now I, I, I can't, can't, I can't talk
3: to I can't talk to David anymore but now
2: I'm
0: I, to I, cover, I think you need to give it a chance though Reed you gotta try it before you diss it
3: I'm not dissing it I'm just not accepting it
1: this is <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the uh so I think the threat to Popeyes is McDonald's is trying to come out with its own Popeyes knockoff, and I, and I don't know if there's a meatless Whopper competitor.
2: More for me. You know, <laughs> more for me. More for me. Yeah.
1: Yeah. All right. Bringing things back. Um, which peer group? Are, are the North American shore, we, We've got some some big players, at super major level, uh, particularly Exxon and Chevron, and, and then we've got uh, dozens and dozens of independents, some of whom are making money, and some of whom are meeting lawyers. Which class of company has a bigger year, better year? Independents or super majors?
3: measured by stock price uh, for me, it's which one doesn't go down, which one goes down the least on majors. And I say that because when we look at it, there's only one independent that is outperforming the market right now, outperforming uh, that. There's only one U.S. based independent that is competing at the same level as the majors. Um, U.S. independents, everybody knows they've gotten hammered. There's, you know, uh, hold on. Who is that? Hess. Has has a good story to the street that the street is buying and, and appreciating, um, but it's hard. And we've done a lot of work on this on you know the force change that these operators are going through. I can't. Uh, we we meet with investors and it's what does it take for you guys to get excited about the industry? They need another twelve months of seeing that seeing this discipline. Well, the majors have already proved it. Uh, they've proven their discipline. They've got cash flow. They've instituted dividends. They've just got the scale. They've got the the portfolio. I see this as not necessarily the year of the majors, but if if, if I've got to pick one, I'm going to pick the least slow horse. Um, And for me, that's going to be the majors. Yeah, I mean, I I agree. Uh, I mean, they've got, uh,
2: again, it always depends, but I think in this case, you know, they're big enough to where they've got diversified risk. Uh, It looks like their strategy of just going all in, and leveraging scale is the one that's going to work. Um, yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where, when the original metric was just production growth, uh, anyone could come in and get money and grow production. I think now that the tides are receding, uh, and you have to kind of stand on your own two feet, uh, it's going to be the
3: majors for me. And really, from your perspective, they've got the they've got the bargaining power oh, with absolutely. all with your service sector clients. Absolutely, they've got the operations, they've yep. got the logistics. It, and when we see that op- that operators are now being tasked to compete on value not growth yeah i mean that's the bread and butter i mean that is the dna of the majors is value they don't want to grow production because then they got to replace so much more every year keep production flat be the best managers of you know of their investors dollars and and that's a new objective for the independents so i see this as a i don't see it as a great year for anybody but I see it as probably not as good a year for the major for the, uh,
1: the independents.
2: So do you think that those majors, like when the independents sort of, some of them go away, do you think there is a scenario in which majors may have a chance to kind of like pick on those bones a little bit and oh, they yeah. do it or they're like, well, this is going to cost money that we'd rather
3: not outlay. So we're just going to let that kind of uh, sit to quote, to quote, uh, the movie Casablanca, I believe everything's for sale. Okay. <laughs> just depends on the price. Okay. Uh, okay. so, you know, I, Look, they're going to, if there's an opportunity, I mean, they're strategic. Um, and we saw the Oxy and Adarco uh, deal and how, how that played out. And you know, the price got too high for, for the other players. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, they said it's not worth it at that price. Fine. Um, and, and, but at a price, it is worth it. Okay, We'll see if we get to those prices, but at a price, everything's for sale.
1: All right. So, so a slight transition here. We talked earlier about the uh, the the IHS Market blog about uh, the, the the profit yeah. survey. Uh, that there was another blog earlier this year on LinkedIn that, that you authored. Okay. On John Mayer, and I think there was a concert Ooh. coming yeah. out of San Antonio. Right? It was Houston, actually. It was Houston, Houston. It was in Houston. He was in San Antonio the night before. Right? Okay. He he did a Texas tour. That's okay. Great. Yeah. So to to tie it to Would You Rather? Okay. And we were going to come into this too. So I don't right. really know anything about John Mayer. No. Better. Uh, be, better. Jerry Garcia uh look alike, or not look alike, but Jerry Garcia replacement John Mayer or Trey Ann Station.
2: Oh, well, you know, I mean he so John Mayer has had kind of uh, like people that like the radio stuff don't know that he's in this kind of reformed uh Grateful, Grateful Dead, Dead group. I, I mean sure reformed. I have that. to be a little careful here because this is one of those things where if there's some guitar players listening to this, I'm gonna offend them. I'm just gonna go John Mayer because like that is over Trey Ann That that's that's my that's just he's my guy. Like that's my generation. Uh so I'm gonna pick John Mayer on on this one. Yeah.
1: Sir, you got no answer. No, I I listen to talk radio. All right, you need to. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you need to read David. Oh man, yes. Man, I, I just don't get me going <laughs> on John Mayer. We're gonna, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we'll talk after. My kids yeah. like Imagine Dragons and Maroon Five. Nah. All right. Well, uh, do you, I do. I know you are a biker. Great. Yes. All right. So, so, so to, to bring one back to your wheelhouse, better natural athletes. So, so, ignoring the performance
3: enhancements, Lance Armstrong or Barry Bonds? Oh, Lance that's no question um it's just the sport right i mean granted you could even say with they were both at the top of the game in a rigged game right like everybody that stood on the podium with lance at the tour uh has been busted everybody that was in the competition with barry you know that they were all going for the records same thing but i just think one is a skill and one is an athlete which isn't to downplay baseball at all but you know, a lot of angry calls. I was gonna say, yeah, we're gonna have. <laughs> I mean, I, look, I've played baseball. I don't have the skill, but I can run a, I can, I can run a half marathon. I can go ride 100 miles, and and so I think the athletic event is very different between baseball and and uh, and cycling and cycling. Barry so Bonds can't ride a bike. is what you're saying. I think that you would see Lance Armstrong hit a ball. I think it's more likely Lance Armstrong could be a competitive baseball player than Barry Bonds could be a competitive cyclist. Hopefully we didn't lose all the guitar players and baseball players. <laughs> yeah, that's okay, though. That's okay But, hey, you know what? I, I okay. watch baseball more than cycling, so, you know.
1: It, We've at least preserved all the juicers. They'll they, they be back with us <laughs> next so All right, so, so, so back to
0: uh, back to industry. That There was a report your team did earlier this week, we uh, read, read on EORs,
1: EOG, e- e- Experimenting with EORs, and I think Gonzales County mm-hmm. uh, in the Eagle that yep. we see in terms of enhanced recovery from shales, will we see more EORs or refracs in 2020? Neither, um, zero from both.
3: I think. Look, I think that both of them have been sort of under the radar. One of these things that we saw uh, Devin try in the, in the Barnett, we've seen EOG try some stuff. When we run the numbers, it really doesn't. Seem, I mean, it's not a money-losing endeavor in general, but there are more capital-efficient opportunities, as in new drill. So maybe they'll maintain these programs sort of as an experimental thing, but I don't think it's going to be a new uh, step forward in the advancement of shale technology. Um, EOG is really the only operator of any any conversational level that's doing this, Um Refracts. We still see some, but it's it's really not much. It's such a small sliver in the grand spend of U.S. Um, it, it's it's almost noise. So so I would say probably either. no ERs is no did And say none. You got to pick one. where you have if
1: if you have to have just one of them? I mean, the game so works. so I mean I think we'll I come if,
2: back if here. I had I, I was gonna say like if, if you're kind of I would say that your answer of Neither is the most realistic one. If you said which one is most likely, I mean, I think refracts. Because I just think it's yeah. it's easier. EOR, you're talking, I mean, there's like reservoir issues. There's It's yeah. kind of a longer term thing. Refract, theoretically, you just kind of hook the frack truck up and and go back at it again. But, I mean, to your point, because, you know, when we were talking about this before Hill, like, why haven't operators done it? I mean, it does seem like a bit of a no-brainer. I think maybe it was the period where everyone was just trying to get not to not lose leases or kind of recoup their, their drilling investment. I mean, there might've been some of that and maybe down the line people say, Hey, let's, you know, try this again. But, uh, so yeah, if you said pick one refrax or a lot of them going to happen,
1: probably not. Yeah. Oh, I'll agree with you. David. So you're both in agreement. That there'll be more refracs than URs. Yeah. Okay. okay. All right. You guys are all tied up heading into the bonus round. Okay. And Jessica and I were talking about this earlier and she was, I'm not sure if she even likes the question, uh, but the better Christmas comedy going into the holidays, home yeah. alone or Christmas vacation,
3: Christmas vacation.
1: No hesitation. No. You know, I, I was, I remember very, very clearly
2: I was six years old in first grade the day my mother said, do you want to go see home alone in the theaters?
3: And that has stuck with me. So I'm going home alone. I, so I watched home alone a couple of times over Thanksgiving with my kids. Uh, so I, I don't know that I could watch Christmas Vacation with my that's kids different together. different audience. Well, you can't
1: because there's discussions about Santa Claus and not every kid is ready to hear.
3: Hopefully, our podcast <laughs> listeners are ready. to... <laughs> I was very I was careful in the way I said that. Right <laughs> Have conversations too. Um, nah, I could also be difficult to just say Christmas
2: Story is actually the one to watch. One, one on the list. But, but I was if you asked me to pick, it's all okay,
1: well, Christmas Story that, that's not it's Christmas. It's not all that funny. I mean, it's, it's got
0: its moments, but it's not Home Alone. It's cult yeah. funny. It's cult funny. I, it's, got a, it's got a good cult following.
1: Yeah. Right, so, what about you, Jessica? You you had another entry here. That...
0: Yes, I was upset that Elf was not on this list. I really okay. think it should have been on there.
2: I thought about Die Hard. That was the other one. Yeah, yeah. Die Hard. If we're going to.
0: Oh, no, not a Christmas movie. It is not a Christmas movie.
1: It's a
0: Christmas movie. I think no, it just because it happens at Christmas. No, it's not. The storyline is not around Christmas.
2: Let's just hope we get, we still get more audience engagement from the oil and gas stuff versus, because <laughs> it's going to be a little bit grim if we get a hundred comments saying Die Hard is in fact Christmas. So can, uh, you know, I, I yeah, there we
0: go. Come, we get pull it.
1: Fair enough, fair enough. All right, last, uh, what would you rather question before Jessica helps wrap this up, okay? We're going to say, better Christmas song with the asterisks that these songs are horrible. All right, <laughs> better sure. Christmas song. Okay. Paul McCartney Wings, "Wonderful Christmas Time," or Mariah Carey "All I Want for Christmas Is You." The most
3: requested song in Houston during the holiday season: Mariah Carey. Really,
1: it's a horrible song.
3: I just lost. That Mariah doesn't Carey matter. Too. <laughs> you know, it's, <laughs> it's,
2: it's it's horrible, but at the same time, I would love to have a piece <clears throat> of like content in my portfolio that every single year like clockwork nets me what must be billions of dollars You're so john mayer blog. uh yeah but he does not have as far as i know he doesn't have like a christmas song oh, your per- blog. That, that's your- oh yeah yeah well i mean okay uh yes maybe in 10 years uh but um no i i think it's i mean i don't know if it's that bad a song actually it's catchy i could listen to, i could listen to her and i i know i'm gonna upset more people here but i could listen Samurai so Carey's song, in this particular case, than I could Paul McCartney's song. Yeah, I think so. Plus, you know, Love Actually, like that's a. I think it's a good Christmas film. It's
3: kind You're of so uh, True. What is it, though, really? I mean, All right, he'll pivot to you. What will be the most surprising headline of 2020? Oh, I like this. Good job. Uh, I like it. Other than I win the Christmas sweater competition.
1: Ignoring the November, whatever happens in November of 2020, mm-hmm. we'll put that on the side. It's interesting. Surprising headline. For for energy, energy. here I am thinking about vaping and things like that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) For for energy, the most surprising headline is I'm going to say something related to offshore wind. That that offshore wind becomes more more mainstream than than perhaps we think it is now. That's fair. Great. Since you asked the question,
3: you must have, have thought about it. The biggest surprise in upstream in 2020. I'm gonna ha- I'm gonna really make some enemies with this Colorado bans fracking. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. David. Yeah. I mean, I guess
2: on the the macro side, it's kind of hard because you know you never want to. Overstep on anyone's toes here. I know the IHS market does. That's all we've done. Well, I mean, you know, I think it's Bill Gates that said this. Bill Gates said people tend to overestimate what happens in 30 years, say, but they underestimate what happens in the next five. And so I think with regards to like alternative energy, I think this kind of plays into what you're saying, Hill. Um, I think the demand for other sources, now I don't know if it's going to be to the detriment of oil and gas, but certainly the demand for other types of sources, I think will probably come on quicker than most people thought. Uh, You know, 2019 on the service service side is really hard to say because everything is so like dire, right? So I think the, the surprising headline has to be something like uh service (laughs) companies weathered it, and there weren't as many bankruptcies as people thought. I mean, that's the only kind of, that is, so I think maybe uh service industry Survives. survives something like that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. All right. That was Jessica's last question for you as well. So so you stole Jessica's Ah, last question. Sorry,
2: Jessica. Yeah,
0: Stealing my thunder. I'm used to it. It's all right. Um, But thank you so much for joining the podcast today, you guys. Um, And I want to also give a big thank you to our listeners. They've been hanging out with us this entire year um, and appreciate uh, all the time from from both our experts and from our listeners. So um, thank you all.
1: Thank y'all. Look forward to the same one next year. Yeah, thank you all. I think you guys tied. I was keeping score. Okay. I think you guys tied on your would you rather Okay. All right. uh, so congratulations.
0: Yippee! <laughs> yes, and we'll revisit them next year at this time. So.
1: Excellent. <laughs> and hopefully, Mariah Carey is tuned into our podcast by then and maybe makes it. Yeah, and her yeah.
0: And, her and and uh, Barack Obama. Right? We got we got a list running now.
1: Here. Yeah. <laughs> the not not to join. Backwards. <laughs> Ram, fantastic album. Uh, <clears throat> All, right. All right. All right. See y'all next year.
2: Thanks,
1: guys. Thanks, Jessica.
0: Hey, right, Thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. To read additional insights from our team of experts, visit our blog at www.ihsmarket.com/energyblog. Also, if you haven't checked us out on social media, please search for IHS Market Energy on either Twitter or LinkedIn.
3: This podcast contains information and insights copyrighted by IHS Market. To learn
1: more about IHS Market Energy solutions, visit ihsmarket.com slash energy. That's I-H-S-M-A-R-K-I-T forward slash energy.